The following study in the Bible was given by Pastor Brett Metter on a Sunday afternoon at A.T. Creek Christian Fellowship. So if you would turn right now to Isaiah chapter 14, it's where we are. If you want to read ahead for Wednesday night, Isaiah 13 and 14, those two chapters, that's our target. Lord willing, we'll get to that on Wednesday night. But we're in Isaiah chapter 14 today. Quite a few years ago, uh, you know, we, um, at Christmas time, me and my kids, they were little at the time. They were probably 10, 11, 12, that age category. And we were out um, uh, putting up Christmas lights this one year, and we decided to knock it out of the park. The whole neighborhood was going strong on Christmas lights, and we wanted to represent. So we, uh, we went over to Home Depot and got one of those little wiry angels, you know. But this was a special little angel. She was made of the wire and the you know, glitter and stuff and, and the lights. But here was the cool part. She had wings that flapped. Uh, there was a little motor that went around and her little wings would flap slowly, you know. And we thought, that's great. So we got the angel and a bunch of lights and we, we put the angel at the pinnacle of our house, right there at the ridge of our house. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I basically, you know, screwed it down into this. It, was, it looked like this, you know, four by six beam coming out of the end of the ridge of the house. I thought, oh, it looks great. And we put it on there and then had a bunch of lights going from the angel down to the lawn, which was, you know, 30 feet, you know, it was long. And uh, we made this big beam of light with tons of strands of lights going down and we'd stake them into the grass lawn. It looked beautiful. The whole house covered in lights. We had a red cross behind the glow of the angel and it was just quite a picture. Cars would slow down in front of our house looking and checking out our whole thing. And it was kind of cool. Real victory for us. Oh, but it was a short-lived victory because that year was extremely stormy. We had, we had a wind storm that uh, was second to none. I don't remember it being ever so windy here in the Portland area, but that particular year, it was just howling. And we were at dinner, just enjoying dinner, when we heard a crash sound out in the front yard. And we ran out there, and sure enough, you guessed it, our angel had fallen and hit the, the grass on the front yard, and all the lights crashed down and tangled, and it was a total mess. And one of our neighbors drove by and said, hey, your angel's fallen. <laughs> you have a fallen angel. And, uh, and then they joked around about how her name was Lucy because, well, you guessed it, Lucifer, <laughs> the fallen angel. And that became sort of the joke. Now, we picked up our angel and bent it back into shape. And, and you know, what, what happened was, by the way, is that, that four by six beam was just fake and it was screwed into the house. It was just like a little fake piece of gingerbread on the house. And, and so um, it was held, held on there by just two little sheetrock screws. Um, and so I went down to Home Depot and got a couple big lag bolts and bolted that thing in there so it wouldn't fall down again. And we put it back up. Her wings didn't flap quite the same. They, they sort of moved, but one would stick and then, then eventually go like this. And she, it just wasn't the same. But she was called Lucy from that day forward. <laughs> well, all that to say, why did we call her Lucy after Lucifer? Because, well, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the red dragon of Revelation, all these names, we're talking about Satan himself. Um, and before he was Satan or the devil, he was called Lucifer. And what was the deal? What's the deal with the devil? Um, well, the answer, some of it lies here in Isaiah 14. Now, it's not that I wanted to talk about the devil. 
you know, it's not fun talking about the devil and hell and all that stuff. But one of the things about going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible is you got to cover everything. And so we're here to talk about Satan today. Congratulations. And some of you are like, oh, great. We invited our neighbors to watch today. And (laughs) well, if you ever wondered what the Bible says about the devil today, we're going to talk a lot about that. So this idea of Lucifer is talked about by Isaiah the prophet. Now on Wednesday night, when we go through this chapter, we're going to realize that Isaiah is talking a lot about the, the local situation of that day. He's talking about the Babylonians and the king of Babylon and all that stuff. But as often Isaiah would do, his gaze would go past the local situation and he would speak a word about something huge, eternal, um, something that was big. It's like the Lord gave him these little truths of understanding, one of which was how Satan fell from heaven and what, what happened there. We have a little bit of that right here in Isaiah chapter 14. Let's pick it up. In Isaiah 14, verse 12. We read there where it says in Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How thou art cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth tremble, that did shake the kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? What's going on here? Lucifer, who was in heaven, was cast out of heaven and fell from heaven. When? When he did these things, when he said, I'm going to lift myself up above the heavenlies. What's going on here? And what's the story? What's this all about, Satan and Lucifer and all this stuff? And, um, you know, you kind of wonder, where did Satan come from? Well, let's talk about this. First of all, Satan. Um, that's his name when he's, uh, you know, when he turned from Lucifer to Satan. A deceiver is the idea there. But um, in Isaiah fourteen twelve, he's called Lucifer, and that's the name he had before he was thrown out of heaven. The idea is the name Lucifer means morning star or bright and morning star. Now, some of you Bible students might say, wait a minute, Brett. I thought the bright and morning star was none other than Jesus Christ himself. Um, and you would be correct if you said that, because in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, Jesus is called, in fact, he calls himself the bright and morning star. So who is it? Is it Satan or is it Jesus? Well, this tells us something of Satan right out of the gate, that he is one who's, believe it or not, he's a, an imitator. One of the things that this, the devil, Satan, this, this person of the Bible talks about is he likes to imitate truth with false And that's one of his, you know, descriptions of who he is. In fact, there's a lot of things that he duplicates and imitates. Um, And one of the things that is said here that he says, I will be like the most high God. And so he tries to be like him and he tries to imitate and duplicate only he's a cheap counterfeit of what God actually has done and who God actually is. Um, 
Oswald J. Sanders, in, in his book about the devil, he talked about a list of things that Satan was actually duplicating or imitating. Let me give you nine of them just for today's study of things that you can see where Satan tries to duplicate. Um, Number one, Satan has his own trinity. If you're a believer in the Bible, you believe in the Holy Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, interestingly enough, Satan himself, he has the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. All three of those entities are mentioned in Revelation 16, 13, of his own unholy trinity, trying to mimic God. Number two, he has his own church. It's called the synagogue of Satan. There in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us of the synagogue of Satan. Number three, he has his own ministers, uh, servants of Satan. Uh, in 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, we read about the servants of Satan. Number four, he's formulated his own system of theology and even has his own doctrines of demons. Um, they're mentioned in 1 Timothy 4, 1. The, the word doctrine means teaching. Number five, he's got his own sacrificial system. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, it talks about how the Gentiles were sacrificing unto demons and what have you. Uh, number six, he has his own communion table. Uh, we read about that in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, the cup of demons and the table of, uh, of demons mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 10, 21. Number seven, he's got his own gospel, which is not a gospel, but it poses as a gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, the gospel that is contrary to the gospel that we have preached. Remember when Paul said that? He said, if we or an angel from heaven comes and gives you a gospel that's contrary to the one that we've preached, let that angel be accursed. And Satan's got his own gospel, and he's a fallen angel, and that, that, that brings all kinds of trouble into false religious cults and systems when they hear another gospel that's not a gospel at all. Uh, be careful on that one. But we, we see that alive and well today, these other gospels. Well, number eight, he's got his own throne, just like God. Uh, Revelation thirteen two tells us that. And finally, number nine, he has his own worshipers. Revelation thirteen four. Interesting that there are more and more Satan worshipers today. And you hear about that on the news. I just saw on the news recently when the state of Washington let the Satanists come and worship Satan there in their Capitol building, right there in the rotunda of the Capitol building. They did their little goofy seance or whatever they call it, where they uh, worshiped Satan there. And their governor thought that was cool that they got the freedom to do that. Um, I wonder if they let the Christian church come and have a service in the Capitol building. But all that to say, we see a lot of wacko stuff going on in the world. One thing is Satan worship is on the rise, and and this is something that Satan wants, to be worshiped by people. Um, And that's one of the things we see here in our text here in Isaiah. So number, number one, as we're looking at this, as we look at this, I have three things. Satan's plunge. Uh, then after seeing Satan's plunge, we'll see Satan's plans, and then we'll see Satan's peril. First of all, Satan's plunge. What happened? What made Lucifer become Satan or the devil or, you know, um, this one who's wanting to be worshipped? What was it that happened? Well, first of all, you have to understand, did you know that God created Satan? He's a created being. How could God create evil? Well, that's just it. People are short-sighted when they think that or wonder that. It's a, it's a funny question because 
God even says, interestingly enough, in Isaiah chapter 45, um, there's an interesting mention of what God actually did. Um, uh, in, in Isaiah 45 verse uh, 7, it says, I, the Lord, form the light and create darkness. I make peace and I create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Well, Brett, I don't know if I like that. It's the Bible. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 7. The Lord created evil? What does that mean? Well, if you're thinking that the Lord created, you know, sin, well, that's not exactly what happened. What the Lord did was he created beings like you and me. And he gave you and me a free will to choose. And so he created us. And guess what? We're evil. (laughs) We're sinners. We've chosen to use our free will in an evil way. And that's exactly what Satan himself did. God created Satan to be this beautiful angel. He was called in Ezekiel chapter 28, which by the way is another passage that tells us a bunch about Satan. We'll go there in a few months when we're in there. But in, in Ezekiel 28, 14, he's called the anointed cherub or this angel that seems to be anointed above all the other angels. Isn't that interesting that um, Satan seems to have been above all the other angels? He was sort of the anointed or he was like, um, you know, the, the highest of all the uh, God's angels. The problem came when given his free will, he used his free will to be lifted up with pride and want to be worshiped. He wanted to be worshiped. By the way, this is an interesting thing about worship. In Ezekiel 28, one of the things we read about is how even his extremities, his fingers and hands were instruments of some kind. He was seemingly into music, maybe some say a worship leader in heaven. Uh, we don't know that for certain, for sure, but it seems that he was used to give glory to God through music. And isn't it interesting that music is one of those things that the devil uses so much today? The Lord uses music too. And there's a fine line between true worship of God and then when we start to worship humanity. Have you ever seen a worship team that seemed to be more about being worshiped than leading worship? Have you ever noticed in the church of Jesus Christ today that the church gets us kind of mixed up? We, we tend to worship worship. It's more about the songs and our doing our worship and less about God. And it's a tricky balance. I know some people that go the other way and said, yeah, Brett, you guys should have just out-of-tune guitars and people that don't know how to sing so that they don't get glorified and and that we're just sincerely worshiping God. Well, the problem with that is the Bible says that we're to play skillfully and do whatever we do heartily as unto the Lord. And that's why at Eighth Greek, I love our worship team because, man, they, they humbly want to come and they work hard at, at making a joyful noise to the Lord. But we also are careful to say, man, we don't want it to be about us or about our group or any of that stuff. And so it's such an important balance. And there's a fine line. Satan crossed that line where in heaven, him worshiping God suddenly started to say, you know what? I want to be worshiped. I want people to see me. I want people to worship me. And that's where the problem started to happen. He was lifted up with pride and Satan was then cast out of heaven as a a sinful, evil being. So God created him in beauty with a free will. He chose to use his free will and he was cast down to earth Uh, because of his rebellion. Now, interesting, 
the question then is, after he was cast out of heaven, we told, talked about Satan's plunge, number one, cast out of heaven. That's what we read when it says, you know, Lucifer, you've fallen from heaven. That was his casting out of heaven. Well, where is Satan today? If you believe Warner Brother cartoons, he's in hell, sitting on a throne that's really hot, and there's flames, you know, sort of around him and demons and all this stuff. That's not where Satan is. Satan has never been to hell. Do you know that? Satan has never been in hell. He will be, our text tells us that, verse 15, thou shalt be brought down to hell. That's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet. So where in the world is Satan? The answer, the world. He's, he's in this world. And not only is he in this world, but he's a re- ruler, a leader, even a god of this world. False god, but he is a god, false as he is. How do I know that? Well, he was cast out of heaven and to the earth. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says that Satan became the god of this world. And Jesus said in John twelve thirty one that Satan is the prince of the world. And in Ephesians 2, 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air of this world, the, all of the atmosphere of this world. Satan's in control of this whole area, and he's sort of given rule and reign. We also know by deduction through the Bible that Satan is actually the title deed holder for the planet Earth. Remember in Revelation chapter 1, the seven-sealed scroll, and God said, who's worthy to loose the scroll, the seals? Um, what, what is that scroll? That's the title deed to planet Earth. And whoever is worthy to open those seals gets to own that title deed. Right now, Satan has it. So when John hears that in Revelation 1-1 and no one's found worthy and he starts weeping and then the elder comes and says, hey, John, weep not for behold the lamb that was sacrificed before the foundations of the world and points to Jesus there in heaven. And, And then Jesus is the one who's worthy to open the scroll of the book, the title deed to planet earth. You see, what you need to understand is Jesus is going to take ownership of this earth again, and he's going to be the God of this world again at one day, and the king of this world one day. But right now, Satan is large and in charge, and he is the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of darkness, and he's the, the one that, that is ruling and reigning on this earth right now. Now, here's the thing. That answers a lot of questions. Just remember that when people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, there are no good people. That's the first thing that's a miss on that question. Second of all, even if you would call that person good, bad things happen to good people because the earth is in a fallen state and it's under the ruler of Satan himself who has caused this earth to fall in total darkness. There in the Garden of Eden, things were beautiful and then he caused Adam and Eve to sin. The serpent, the devil, beguiled Eve there in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And man, that's when death started. That's when suffering started. That's when disease like coronavirus happened is because of Satan. And sadly, you know, we have this mentality that it's all God's fault. If a tree falls in your car because of a windstorm, they call it, as the insurance companies call it, an act of God. But it's actually that kind of stuff. That's an act of Satan. That's part of the fallen world that we live in. And that's why in our text here, it says, when everybody sees him, when it's all said and done, they'll say, is this the one that caused all the trouble and left the world in desolation? and in the wilderness? You see, Satan is the god of this world, and that answers all the questions. That's why there's evil and corruption and bad things going on. And the good news is Christ is going to return, and he's going to rule and reign and take it back from Satan. Now, some people say, okay, Brett, when did Satan fall? When did all this happen? Uh, At what point? Don't know for sure. 
But there's some interesting, mysterious passages in the Bible. Do you want to hear one of the theories or examples of when Satan may have fallen? And when were the angels created? And which came first, the heavens and the earth or these angels? Well, there's a mystery a little bit in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In fact, why don't you grab your Bible and turn there real quick. Genesis 1, 1. Keep your finger in Isaiah. And uh, in Genesis 1, 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So here we have in the beginning. And what happened? God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, and the earth was without form and void. Now, the Hebrew language here is interesting. It says, and the earth was, and the Hebrew says, tohu vabohu. Tofu what? No, tohu vabohu. It's a funny little Hebrew saying that means total destruction and desolation. The earth became you know, without form and void, it says. But you said, but Brett, you said became. Well, the word was there. Mark it in your Bible. Look it up in your Hebrew dictionary. The word was is actually became, literally became. So it could read, and the earth became without form and destruction and total destruction. When was the earth destroyed? Um, it seems that something cataclysmic happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And we don't know for sure what happens, but here's one of the theories that I think is interesting, that maybe the earth was created. God created the heavens and the earth. And there was a certain creation of that. How it looked, I don't know. But then it says, and the earth became destroyed. That's the language of tohu vabohu. Did God create the world in destruction? No. In fact, flip over to Isaiah chapter 45. And there in Isaiah 45, you should check this out. This is where it gets really interesting to me. Isaiah 45, 18. There it says, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it and created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, there is none else. Boy, there's so much in this. He formed the earth to be inhabited. You know, for, for the earth to be a place where humans can live, do you know all the science that has to be in place? The exact levels and distances and space and temperature. And like there's so many little tiny things that need to be right for life to exist on earth. And, the, you know, science explains it by an accidental set of circumstances. It just accidentally happened over billions of years. Wacko! It says here that God created the heavens and the earth to sustain human life. He made it. All those things within tolerances that allow for life. The Bible says God did that. And it says here, now this is where it gets interesting. It says in the middle of verse 18 there uh, of chapter 45 of Isaiah, he hath established it and created it not in vain. The word vain there is tohu vabohu. Same words of Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Um, and it says he didn't create it tohu vabohu, or he didn't create it destroyed or de- in desolation. Um, so what, what's, what's that saying? It's basically leading us, as you follow the scriptures here, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became desolate. What was it that caused the earth to fall into desolation? Don't know for sure. 
But some speculate that could that be when Satan was hurled down to this earth? Oh, there's so many things that are unexplained that science doesn't know what to do with. Why are there fossils of fish up at the top of mountains? Um, like Mount Ashland, if you go up there on the freeway, there's these cutaways by the freeway up on Mount Ashland where I used to take our youth group kids and we'd look at the fossil bones of fish at 5,000 feet above sea level. Um, where did that come from? And why were the fully, furry woolly mammoths up in the North Pole, they found some that had been frozen in the ice. And when they were able to look at them and they looked at them forensically, they found little yellow buttercup flowers in the bellies or in the digestive, digestive tract of these furry woolly mammoths. Where did they get flowers up in the North Pole? Um, and why were they frozen and preserved? The idea wasn't a slow ice age that happened. It was an immediate freezing of something that was eating in the springtime buttercups and then suddenly was frozen. What happened? Well, let me just throw some theories. And I'm not a scientist, but people who are scientists talk about things like, you know, that try to understand what happened in the world about the fossils. And maybe there was a flood that covered the whole earth. Where would all that water come from? Here's a theory, the water vapor canopy theory, where some believe that the earth was in a greenhouse sort of effect where the, instead of just the atmosphere as we know it, there was a sort of a water vapor bubble around the earth that caused the whole earth to be like in a greenhouse. It was tropical vegetation, common even temperature throughout the earth. Um, maybe that would explain the buttercups in the mammoth's mouth. Maybe um, when that water vapor canopy collapsed, burst, it would have made water to flood the whole earth. Um, some, some say that there was some real evidence that there, there were some cataclysmic events. Another thing that may have happened is the polar axis shift uh, of, the, of the earth, that it maybe wasn't always on a certain wobble, um, but it actually was more straight up and down and went in a smooth circle. But when did the polar axis shift? Don't know. But could it be that some of these massive cataclysmic events happened when Satan was hurled down to this earth and became the god of this world? Don't know for sure, but there were things that happened enough to make the dinosaurs go, uh, you know, extinct and, and uh, all kinds of crazy things that we see evidence of on this planet that we live. I wonder if there's some things that happened around Satan being hurled down to this earth. But we know he was here by the time Adam and Eve came on the scene. There he is in the garden, the serpent trying to trick Eve and Adam into eating the fruit. So that's, that's what we know. Satan was thrown out of heaven, Lucifer, and he uh, was on this earth. And because of sin and Adam and Eve and all that story that Satan was involved with, it caused this world to be in a fallen state. So when people ask you, why is there disease like the coronavirus? It's because of sin. It's because of Satan. Um, and we see that. Well, all that to say, the first thing we consider is, you know, uh, Satan, his plunge uh, from being called the most high of the angels. He wanted to be called the most high above all, even God. And for that, he would be cast out of heaven, cast down to this earth. Well, that's Satan's plunge. What's Satan's plan, number two? Satan's plan, well, he articulates it with all of his five I will statements here in Isaiah chapter 14. He starts there in verse 13 saying, I will ascend into heaven. That's what he said he would do. 
Now, do you understand how this flies in the face of God? God says you will be cast out of heaven. And that's what happened. Satan was no longer able to live in heaven. Interesting, if you read the book of Job, Satan did have a certain access to heaven, because remember, he went and talked to God in heaven uh, about Job, but he wasn't able to abide or live in heaven. He's stuck on this earth. That's where he is. Remember when the the Lord asked the devil, where you come from? He says, "I've I've been going to and fro over all the earth. That's where Satan dwells. Again, it answers a lot of the questions about why there's evil on the earth today. Satan lives here. And he's, a, he's the God of this world. But here, in total rebellion, he says, I will ascend into heaven. I don't care what God says. I'm going to make it back into heaven someday. But that's not true. He's actually going to go back down. He's going to eventually go to hell, uh, according to verse 15. Um, but all that to say, that's rebellion. And by the way, if you want to be like Satan, not recommended, then say, I will do things that God says I will not do. Or, you, or have this attitude, I'm going to do whatever I want, and I don't care what God says. That's a very Satan kind of thing to do and say. There's people today that, that God says, well, I think that uh, the Bible says that's sin. And you say, well, I think it's okay. I should be able to live that lifestyle or do that sexual behavior or go that direction and do that. Or, and and they, they go against God's word. And just like Satan, I will do what I want to do. That's a Satan behavior. And it's not a good thing. It's called sin and it's rebellion. And unless a person repents of that sin, they will end up exactly where Satan is going, that place called hell. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, So he says, I will ascend into heaven. He will not. He's going to be descending further still into hell. Um, Number two, he says, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. What does that mean? That his throne would be exalted above the stars of God. What are the stars of God? Well, theologians debate this, but there's a general agreement that we could be talking about the angels when it talks about the stars here, that he will be exalted above all the other angels and sort of in charge of the angels. It seems that he was that, but he wanted to be the main one in charge, not God. So many of you were raised to believe that Satan took and drew, um, you know, one third of all the angels fell with Satan. Is that true? Well, uh, I wouldn't say for sure. Is there a Bible verse that says that one-third of all the angels fell with Satan? No. But there is a mysterious little saying in Revelation chapter 12 that I'll read to you. In verse, um, it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, it says, There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his heads. Who's that? Satan. <laughs> Um, And Revelation doesn't mess around. It calls Satan kind of what he is, a red dragon with a bunch of heads and crowns. And it says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Who's the woman? That's Israel who would bring forth the the child, the Messiah, Jesus. And Satan was going to mess with that. That's what that whole chapter 12 is kind of about. But... There's the thing where the dragon's tail scooped out one-third of all the stars and brought them to earth. And so that's where some say those were angels, those stars. And Satan drew one-third of all the angels with them. So you're saying, Brad, okay, in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. Satan was up there leading worship as Lucifer. He was an angel of light. 
Um, things were all good and the angels were doing their thing, but then he rebelled and he was cast out of heaven and one third of all the angels went with him. That's what seems to be the story. And where were they cast out? Onto the earth. And they're here doing their thing. The demons, the fallen angels, and Satan, all part of this, uh, part of this planet. And we see evidence of that everywhere, if you ask me. The evil, corruption, sin, and disease, all that stuff comes from Satan. So you have Satan's plan, I will be over the stars uh, before the throne of God. I think he's talking about the other angels. That's, that's always been his uh, plan. Number three, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. The sides of the north was an idiom to talk about the edge of the earth or sitting like literally on the earth as the one who's large and in charge. That's what he's saying. And by the way, notice that Satan gets some of these things to a degree. He does get a third of the angels to follow after him. He does sort of get the earth to be under his control. Um, Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Um, The idea there is is he was going to lift himself up above God and be greater than God. That's what he wanted to be. And number five, I will be like the Most High. Um, I can be just like God. And by the way, any cult that you will see on this earth, that's one of the things they'll try to talk about is you can do as great of things as God, you can be like God, or you are God. You know, whether it's the New Age people with Oprah and Shirley MacLaine and all the New Agers that say, I am God, you know, or the God in me, uh, wacko. Or if it's even people that claim to be churches but are actually cults that say that someday you can become God. If they say that, or you can become as strong as God or do as great of things as God, that's a a helpful hint that you're probably following some kind of a religious cult rather than the true church of Jesus Christ. Um, But that's what Satan says, I will be like the Most High. Not so, but that was his goal. So we see his plunge cast out of heaven onto earth. We see his plan that he would be exalted above God that he would be in charge of the earth and he'd have all this stuff that he wanted to be worshiped and exalted. But his plan will fail according to the scriptures here. So, um, so you've got number one, Satan's you know, plunge. Um, number two, you've got Satan's plans. And uh, we see the I will statements. But we finish really with Satan's peril. What is his future? And when is he going down finally? Some of us are kind of like, come on, Lord, we got to get rid of Satan and we got to do it fast. Uh, when, when we pray, Lord, come quickly, what we're saying is, Lord, come and deal with Satan. Take him out. Rub him out, Lord. Now, some of you might be saying, Brett, is it a battle between God and Satan? No, Satan and God are not opposites. I hope you know that. You know, and, and we've talked about this before, you know, where it's not Satan and God, and we sure hope God wins. No, God is the creator of all things. Satan is just an angel. And the Bible tells us that it'll be Michael the archangel who will finally stand up against Satan and wipe him out. Another angel. God and Satan are not opposites. Jesus and Satan are not opposites because Jesus is God. Michael and Satan are more opposites. And there will be a day where Michael will be given permission to go and whoop on Satan, bind him up, and throw him in the abyss. You say, Brett, why doesn't God do that today? Why let Satan do his stuff any longer? Don't know if I know all the answers to that, but I think I know part of the reason. 
One of the reasons I think God gave, you know, Satan free will to do what he wants to do is because he was going to give man free will. And for there to be evil in this world, Satan has to be here. And it gives man the choice, just like Adam and Eve had a choice. You can choose to follow God or follow Satan. And Eve and Adam, they chose Satan. And that's why the world was fallen. But just like Adam and Eve, you and I have a choice to make. You and I are given free will to go one way or the other. And I believe that's part of God's plan, as I don't understand all of it, but I do believe that God is a perfect gentleman. He doesn't want to force you to follow him. It'd be like if you're on the earth, uh, let's say you're a woman on the earth, and all the, um, the um, men and women, except for one man, dies on the earth. Everybody, you and just one man's left, and he wants to marry you. Well, do you only have one choice? One person? See, that's the thing. It'd be ridiculous if, if you know, God says, yeah, you know, you, you got to follow me. And, and suddenly we're all a bunch of robots just having to follow the one God, the one option, the one choice. It seems that God created a choice. And it's up to you what you're going to do with that choice. Follow God or follow Satan. Without that choice, it would be enforced righteousness. So all that to say, Satan is an option. And I believe God is keeping that option alive for a season, for a while. But eventually it's going to come to an end. When is that going to happen? Well, this is where it talks about Satan's peril. The order of events according to the Bible, according to the way I see it, is, you know, the next thing on the list of things to happen is the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about how we, which are alive and reign as Christians, we are taken up, the Bible says, caught up to be with the Lord. Um, I believe that's going to be the next thing on the list. Um, Then there's a seven-year period on this earth called the the tribulation period. It's a time where God pours out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting and sinful world, and he will subdue Satan at the end of that seven-year period. During the seven-year period, Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, they'll all go on a rampage doing their thing, sort of unhindered during the tribulation. It's not going to be a pretty time. You think the coronavirus lockdown was a big deal. The tribulation talks about a lot more. It's going to be like that, except a thousand times over. Uh, Cataclysmic events on this earth that will happen. Meanwhile, we as Christians are up in heaven. Marriage, feast of the Lamb, seven years, honeymoon in heaven with the Lord. And so that's going to happen during the tribulation period. But then Christ returns. Revelation 6 through 19 is the tribulation period. But in chapter 19, Christ returns and he goes and he's no longer the carpenter, he's a conqueror. He's no longer the one to be judged by the world, he's the judge of the world. And so Satan will be there uh, with the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, and Jesus will return and he will wipe out Satan. At the end of the tribulation period, at the beginning of that thousand year period called the millennial kingdom, a thousand years. Now, at the beginning of that millennial kingdom, where does Satan go? Is that where he goes to hell? Nope, Satan still hasn't been in hell. And he won't be in the millennial kingdom. He'll be in a place called the Abuso, or another name is the Abyss. And it's a, it's a temporary, long temporary, but a thousand years, where Satan will be locked away in the Abuso for a thousand years. Then he will um, be let loose at the end of that thousand years to deceive some more people. What, Brad? Are you making this stuff up? No. It's Revelation. You can uh, turn there if you're quick or jot it down in your notes. Revelation chapter 20. We have this description. At the end of the millennial kingdom, it says here in Revelation chapter 20, 
Verse 7, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall, that's the abuso, the abyss. And it says, and he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, not the same war of Ezekiel, by the way, uh, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is at the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them, devoured them, Satan and his false prophet and his, uh, you know, Antichrist and all that. Verse 10, and the devil that deceived them would be then cast into the lake of fire, Greek word Gehenna, where we would call hell. Finally, Satan's getting cast into hell. Uh, where it's a lake of fire and brimstone, where there's a beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever. What's going to happen? They're finally taken to this place, thrown into Gehenna or hell. Hell is this place that we, we consider hell. If you're a, sort of a tourist in the Bible and you think of hell, you think of heaven and hell. There's just two places. Well, not really. People that die right now that didn't go to heaven, they go to a place that's sort of called um, Hades or the other side of Abraham's bosom. Luke 16 talks about this. And then I believe they're going to be taken up at this time and be brought to the great white throne judgment. All the people who didn't accept Christ, all the people who didn't become believers, they'll be taken to the great white throne judgment. And that happens right after Satan is thrown into Gehenna or hell. And then anybody who didn't follow Christ will be judged at the great white throne. And they also, well, let me read you what happens there. This is kind of scary. It says, and I saw the great white throne, him that sat on it, whose face was uh, the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The books were open, and another book was opened, the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. See, you're not saved according to your works, but if you're doomed, you will be doomed according to your works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it and delivered death and hell, Hades and Sheol, delivered them up. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we've got Satan, the beast, the false prophet thrown into Gehenna, and then there's the great white throne judgment. And anybody who didn't accept Christ and are still in their sins and judged according to their works, they will be thrown into that same place. Now, by the way, there's a teaching out there that I think is interesting where people say, well, if you go to hell, it's not eternal. It's just annihilation. Death and hell is annihilation. So you'll be thrown into hell and you'll just cease to exist. And um, that, that'd be wonderful if that were true, but it's just not. Here it says they'll be tormented. Well, but that's Satan and his false prophet and the Antichrist. Yeah, but they're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there's no losing of conscience and no annihilation. Yeah, but Brett, those, that's Satan and his team. But yeah, some of that team was in human form. And then the, the people there that will be at the great white throne are thrown into the exact same place. And, um, and here's the danger. If I'm a dude, just a normal guy, which I kind of consider myself a normal guy. Um, and I knew that hell was a place where uh, I'm just totally destroyed and annihilated and I cease to exist. Big deal. It, that doesn't bother me. I'm not even afraid of that. Um, ceasing to exist is not that bad of a punishment, if you ask me. But eternal torment, 
like it says here, forever and ever, that's the scariest thing I could ever imagine. Well, Brett, are you just trying to scare us? Yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Because the Bible is clear on this one, that hell is real. The Bible talks more about hell than it talks about heaven. Heaven is not discussed much because the Bible says it's beyond description. We're not even going to try. But hell is talked about a lot, and it's very real. And it's so sad. You see books written by so-called Christian authors that are trying to minimize, you know, hell. And most people aren't even going to go there. And it's, it's um, everybody, love wins and, uh, and, and annihilation. I think that's just a dangerous, dangerous teaching. Because Jesus taught that narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And Satan and his demons and his angels that have fallen, along with all the people who never accepted Christ, are going to end up in Gehenna forever and ever, tormented day and night. You won't be drinking beer and playing cards with your buddy in hell. That's the movies. Again, you've been watching cartoons too long. This is a place where there's total isolation, um, total pain and suffering, and it's not a good place. And I am trying to scare you because you should be scared. That's what the Bible says. Pray that you be counted worthy to escape these things, the Bible says. And you know what? The only way you and I can be counted worthy is to accept the work of Jesus. You see, this is where I kind of land this thing. Some of you would say, well, Brett, if I, if I believe in God, I only believe in a God that's not going to send people to hell. Um, and I would say, great, because God doesn't send people to hell. You send yourself there. You are the one who did that. And, and, and maybe you could blame Satan to a degree for influencing humanity into sin and trying to lure us in. But um, God doesn't want to send people to hell. What does the Bible say? The Bible says the Lord would that none should perish, but that everyone would come to repentance and eternal life. That's the heart of God. That's why the Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that's any of us, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Here's a loving God saying, there is hell and it's real and it's brutal, but you don't need to go there. I've prepared the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father which is in heaven, but by me. Jesus is the way. And so, um, you know, people have a term they like to throw on. Boy, that really scared the hell out of me. Well, normally I, I think that's kind of a bad way to use your language, but in truth, there is, there is something I'm trying to do right now. <laughs> and I hope that the literal place called hell, I hope that you look at the Bible and see what it says, because it should be a scary thing. And if you want to be scared to the point of saying, wow, I, I, I don't want that, then all you got to do is repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ, that Jesus, who's God, who visited humanity, died on the cross for my sins and yours too, rose up from the grave, proving his claim of messiahship, the one who could do that, and, and rose again, proving his claims so that you and I could be forgiven, saved, and not go to hell. That's why God did it, because he would that none should perish. Man, can I challenge you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Um, just with your mouth, with your heart. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ, that God raised him up from the dead, says, you will be saved. That's the truth of the matter. That's why I'm a preacher. That's why I like to preach these sermons. Brett, you're kind of firing brimstone today. 
Well, so be it. It's where we are in Isaiah talking about Satan and his plan for humanity and what he wants to do. And it's as clear as day. I don't want any part of that. I want to be part of heaven. I want to follow the loving, true and living God. And here's a God who gives me a free ticket out of hell. I'll take that any day. If, if I'm wrong, and if the Bible's wrong about this, you know, what do you have to lose? Um, you know, um, you, you start walking with Christ, and most of us that are Christians, we realize, wow, walking with Jesus is better anyway. But if I'm right, and if the Bible's right, then what do you have to lose? Everything for all eternity, pain and suffering and hell. The reason I say that is because I don't want you thinking lightly of this. I don't want you just to kind of hear, oh, there's another sermon about hell and salvation and all that stuff. This is as real as it gets right here. Do you believe in Christ? Have you accepted him as your savior? If you haven't, I'd like to help you right now. You can, you can with your mouth, like Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says, you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Here's what you confess. You say, Father in heaven, who's God, you say, Father in heaven, you know, I believe in your son, Jesus, who came and died on the cross for my sins and rose up from the grave, and that I believe now that I'm saved. Thank you for saving me. Just pray that simple prayer to believe that you're a sinner. You confess that. Jesus died, rose from the grave, and it says you will be saved. Hey, if you did that, if you're praying that prayer right now, would you let us know? You, you don't have to. It's just fun for us to know. We won't bug you or send you tons of emails or anything like that. But if, if you would, there's a, there's a number on your screen that you can text and say, new believer. And the reason we like that is we love to know if people are hearing the gospel today. And if you heard that, we'd love to hear that. And then if you want something like a Bible or need prayer for anything or help, man, we'd love to tap into you and help you that way. But only if you want that. But we'd love to hear from you and know if you accepted Christ today as we've talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian already, man, don't you and I, don't we have reason to rejoice today? So what? We're under the disease and the coronavirus lockdown, whatever. At least we're not in hell and we're headed for heaven and we have the future and the hope to look forward to eternity. Man, that's something to look forward to and be happy about. And I hope that as you think about that, that it makes your heart leap that the Lord loved you that much to die on the cross for your sins and saved you. Man, we have reason to celebrate. Let's pray that in. And Lord, we are so thankful for so great a salvation that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose up from the grave, and that we don't have to fear death and hell. Like Paul talked about how, where is thy victory, O grave? Where's the sting of death? Lord, for the Christian, it's gone. And we're so glad that the day we die is the day we have eternal life in heaven. Lord, because of your grace through faith. Lord, for these new believers that have accepted you today, I pray that you'd wrap your loving arms around them, that they would, even though we don't see you and we don't have visual proof of that salvation all the time, but Lord, I pray that you just lovingly just give them just your arms of love around them, that they'd sense that their sins are forgiven and that they have the hope of heaven. May they know and just have that confirmation, Lord, today of what you've just done supernaturally. So bless them, we pray. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We encourage you to take advantage of our media ministry by visiting us at atheecreek.com anytime. There we have all of Pastor Brett's Bible studies available as a free download. 